Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Mobile hunters, are you looking to make the move to saddle hunting this year? Or maybe you just want to add a few new pieces of gear or upgrade your current saddle gear. If that's the case, then head over to tetherednation.com where they've got all mobile hunters covered. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old timer, Tethered is your one-stop saddle shop. From saddles to ropes, sticks, ascenders, whatever it is you need, they have you covered. I've personally been using their gear for the past three seasons. Now my base setup consists of the Phantom Saddle and the Predator Platform. And if you're wondering why, I've chosen to use their gear above all else. Here's the cliff notes. They're innovative and pushing the mobile hunting forward overall. They cut no corners and prioritize the safety and performance of their gear. They care about the community that they've created and their gear allows me to hunt free. And above all else, I like to support good people doing good work. If you're interested in upping your mobile hunting game, then head to tetherednation.com. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee, guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 221. Today, we're learning from the past and planning for the future with my good buddy, Chad Sylvester. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. Hope you've had a chance to enjoy some of the sunshine that we've got the past couple couple days, man. I've been super stoked. Um, feels just kind of like spring's in the air. It's felt like way like spring was in the air with 70 degrees. I think we hit 70 degrees once this week, and finally, 
the snow has all all melted, which was awesome because I've been under snow for a while. I've been chomping at the bit to get out and do some legit scouting, and not the uh, not like the previously failed attempts that I had the past two weekends with with a bunch of snow still on the ground. So, actually, that was my big kind of uh, deer woods exploration uh, for this past week. Got out with the pup. And had a couple places here locally that I wanted to kind of explore that were uh, areas that I looked at last year, but just didn't get time to actually get to them. Um, and, and and one I thought might be had the potential I thought to be pretty good. Um, so slipped in there yesterday and and scouted that, give it a good a good thorough kind of walkthrough. Um, and when I say give it a good thorough walkthrough, you know, I think I've talked about this in other podcasts, but and maybe even answered it with some listener Q and a, but you know, I'll kind of look at the map and figure out, you know, where the access points are and, you know, go through that process of marking off places that people probably can easily get to, um, and try to find those pockets where deer might be, um, might be able to escape and hide and, uh, kind of try to do that from the map. And then I just kind of beeline to those areas and check those spots. Cause uh, you know, those are probably my best opportunity or high percentage kind of areas. And so did that yesterday and the beginning of the scout really was turning up to be kind of a, a fail, a failed attempt. Really. Um, I walked into an area that I thought I would find a bunch of, uh, scrapes or at least a few. Um, and there was nothing, nothing for sign like zero. I found, well, I shouldn't say zero. I found some very small rubs that would not, you know, I could have walked right by them. I'm actually kind of surprised I even see, uh, even saw them, uh, to, to be honest, um, made my way all the way around this piece, like the, you know, pretty big loop, Finally got to this one area that I kind of had been eyeballing on the map, and it was the furthest kind of point. It's funny because it was the furthest point from where I parked, but it's actually the closest to the road, uh, to be honest. Um, and so when I got over there, I, you know, um, found a, a couple really good rubs um, and kind of followed that rub line and ended up following the rub line back to an area where I think I didn't find the bed specifically, but an area whenever I kind of looked around, it was, OK, this would be. A, a killer bedding area and don't know exactly where precisely the deer might be bedding, but all the sign was kind of leading me to like, okay, he, this, this buck is spending a significant amount of time in this area. The funny thing was, is that it was only, I think when I found that first rub, it was probably maybe 150 yards off of, off of a road. Um, you know, which, you know, surprise, surprise, right. Little overlooked spot close to the road. And then as I followed his rub line, he actually got closer and closer to the road. And so whenever I finally kind of ended where the sign kind of ended up being probably the best, uh, with, with a bunch of rubs and, um, just some like good aggression rubs and stuff like that on some larger trees. Um, you know, I was probably 75 yards from a road at that point. Um, and so I kind of, you know, made my way back to the truck and stuff like that. And it, it was interesting as I was walking back, cause I was just kind of thinking, um, you know, <clears throat> I was talking to my buddy, you know, Greg Litzinger and he's, he's been scouting some big wood stuff and, um, you know, hopefully here in the next weekend or two, I'll, I'll be able to do the same, get out of, out of town for a little bit. Um, but a lot of what he's been doing, a lot of what I will do whenever I get to those tracks is like, you kind of move kind of further back in, right. It's kind of the conventional wisdom, like the further you go, the less human sign you see, um, and the better the the hunting potentially is, right? But it's kind of interesting whenever you know you talk to maybe people from out of state and you live in a high pressure high pressured state because you know a lot of times folks will see flagging tape or something like that and they just kind of turn around or they consider that spot to be dead. Um, and it just kind of dawned on me yesterday as I was walking through, you know, because there was flagging tape all over the place um, that I was seeing. I found you know I think two different tree stands. Um, you know, a lot of folks that would kind of like kill a spot for them. <clears throat> and my thought process was, man, you know, 
where the area in which I live, you know, being close to a large metro area, um, you know, and uh, a state that has a significant hunting heritage, if you aren't comfortable and un- are unwilling to hunt in an area where there might be other people um, and that there's going to definitely be some human sign, like you're going to have a hard time finding a place to hunt. Um, that's just the truth of the matter. Um, doesn't mean you want to be on top of somebody and it doesn't mean you want don't want to look for those little pockets. Um, but you're going to run into a lot of human sign. That's just what it, that what it is, you know, for, for the area that I, that I live in. And so then it becomes about understanding how they're going to get in and out, right. Whether they're access points, how are the deer going to react to that? Um, and then evaluating whenever you're looking at people's setups and stuff like that, like the best thing for me is knowing that someone has a ladder stand because that's not moving. I'll know where that's at and I can make plans. I can make plans around that. So it was just one of those things yesterday as I was thinking, because my natural process, whenever I go into these scouting sessions this time of year, or even whenever I'm scouting during the season, you know, just because I see a stand or I see flagging tape or I see whatever, doesn't mean I ended up, I end up turning around and going somewhere else. It just means I need to start to evaluate whatever sign I had found in that general area a little bit, a little bit differently. You know, a lot of times you can look at a stand by like, you know, the, the type of stand that it is or where exactly it's set up and stuff like that. And you can start to tell whether or not it's even a bow hunter or not. Cause I'm not in there during gun season. So if it's a gun hunter, doesn't bother me at all, you know, cause I'm not going to be there when he's there, he or she's there. And you know, they're not going to be in there likely when, when I'm there, except maybe toward the end of bow season, when they come in, maybe to check their stand and, or, or something like that. And so what I'd found yesterday, one was certainly a gun stand, uh, just by the way it was set up. Actually, two of them were actually, I I saw three stands yesterday. So two of them were certainly gun stands that were set up. The one I wouldn't even hunt in that area. I didn't find anything for deer sign. And the one there was decent deer sign. It was a a ladder stand. It could have been a gun or a, uh, or, or a bow hunting stand. I would lean probably bow hunting, uh, just by, by the nature in which they were set up because it was set up in like thicker cover, um, on the edge of a cedar thicket and stuff like that. So it made me think that it possibly could be a, um, a, a, a bow hunter or maybe, maybe a crossbow hunter, whatever, whatever the case is. So that was just something interesting, you know, yesterday as I was scouting that I, that I was thinking about and then figured I would, uh, pass it along here, but that was really that one area with those rubs was really the only thing that I'd found worth kind of noting. And, um, what I'll end up probably doing is throwing a cell camera in there, uh, earlier in the, um, uh, in the summer and just kind of, you know, watch for deer because it's close to some water where it might be able to get some shade and stuff like that and just want to see what the traffic kind of looks like and I'll, I'll likely dedicate a cell camera to that particular spot and just kind of watch it and see if it turns on and when you know if, if deer start using this particular particular rub line or if deer start kind of traveling what I could tell was there was some there were some tracks in the one area where I found like the cluster of rub, well I shouldn't say what I found the cluster where I found the first set of rubs um, I had presumed that would be somewhat of a high traffic uh, area to, to a degree. Um, and so I'll probably put the camera in there cause I think it's probably where I'll get the best inventory. Um, and then from there I can probably start to figure out how or, or who might be working, um, that rub line if that deer is even alive. And, uh, but there was historical sign in there. So that leads me to believe that, you know, deer are laying down sign and laying down rubs and stuff like that in this general area year over year. Didn't find any scrapes yesterday. Well, no, take that back. I found a really small scrape yesterday something that wasn't very, uh, wasn't very noteworthy. Um, and the truth of the matter is the area I was scouting kind of low lying, still holding a lot of water from the snow melt and stuff like that. So 
I very well could have walked by scrapes and not known it uh, just because I wasn't able to see them. So it might be one of those areas that I need to take one more quick pass through, especially around, you know, the places where I'd found that sign to see if I can locate any scrapes once it starts to dry out a little bit. But as of now, there wasn't anything to to necessarily set up on in terms of scrapes. So really playing off of that, that one rub line. So, but with that, I'm going to go ahead and jump into today, uh, today's show. Um, before I do that, two quick things. Uh, truth from the stand merch truth from the stand.com. You can use the code TFTS 21 to get a discount and then skull brew coffee. You can use the promo code truth at checkout and get yourself a discount there. Super cool show for you today. Got my buddy, Chad Sylvester on. Uh, I usually like to do this every year, maybe a little bit late to this for this, uh, for this year, always like to kind of do a recap of the year and kind of go through the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, and that's what Chad and I do today. Uh, he and I obviously hunt a lot together, so it's kind of appropriate that we kind of, uh, talk about our seasons together. Um, but then, you know, what we do from there is we kind of start talking about what the plans are for next year, things that we might want to change, uh, what we learned from this past year, uh, hunts that we have planned for this year, potentially coming up and a little bit of, a little bit of what we, uh, are considering in terms of, of gear tweaks as well. This will be a part one of part two. There'll be a second part coming out with Chad. He and I actually did a, a listener Q and a session on the back half of this podcast. So we'll launch that here in the not so distant future as well. But as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. This is a, we do these unique ones every now and then whenever I have my good buddies from Exodus on a little bit of a co-branded like joint podcast because I have my good buddy, none other than Mr. Chad Rodeo Sylvester joining me this evening for a little, a little catch up. What's going on, brother? Not too much, man. Uh, just chilling at the office. Um, yeah. Enjoying the evening. Yourself? Yeah, uh, I'd be better if I had a drink. We got, we should have had a little beverage in true whiskey and smoke fashion. Yeah. I don't know what, I don't know what we're doing, but I don't have a drink either. Yeah, we're we're either. slipping. Yeah. I know for everyone out there listening that doesn't know that is, so Chad is also rodeo cause you've heard from him multiple times in this podcast. He used to ride rodeo back in the day. And we also gave ourselves, this is how bad it is. Like we're, you know, you're lame when you gave yourself <laughs> nicknames. <laughs> We gave ourselves the nickname of of whiskey and smoke. That's our like hunting travel name. So, <laughs> which it should be just like crash and burn. Actually, if uh, if our yeah, that's <laughs> probably a little more accurate. Yeah, it's a little more accurate. But no, man, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna kick it off and do a little a little jam session here together. We're gonna, we got some listener Q and A questions, and we're just gonna kind of you know in the past, Chad and I've got together usually at the end of the year. Um, you know, you all, all you guys obviously hear from him during the course of the season, whenever we're out on our, our hunts together, you heard from when we were in uh, Missouri this past year. And then usually we like to get together at the end of the year. Usually it's at a uh, Harrisburg, but we didn't have trade shows this year or anything. So that yep. was, that was a squash, but we usually get together and do a session uh, together where we like to answer some listener Q and a, and then just kind of, because he and I spend a lot of time hunting together, we do a lot of just breaking down our year and stuff like that. Cause we do this on the regular basis anyway, <laughs> during the course of a week, have a phone call and, think of talk about whatever we thought of for whitetails that week and what mistakes we made or what we're going to do or whatever the case is. So I figured, hell, why not just do a podcast and do it? Right. Absolutely. That's right. That's it. So we're just going to jump into it, man. We're going to dive into the good, the bad, and the ugly from the 2020 season. So we'll go with you first, man. Let's start with, let's start with the, uh, I always like to tell people this at work. I say, I've got some, I've got some bad news. Actually, no, no, this is how I start. I go, Hey guys, I got some good news. Nah, actually, I actually kind of have some like not great news. Actually, you know what? 
I just have really bad news. Like that's usually how I start meetings. <laughs> Cause then I got nowhere to go, of, uh, nowhere to go, but up from there. So right, right. we'll start with the, the bad first, the ugly from this year for you. What was like the, what was the, what was the pits for you this year? Well, I think the, the, the lowest of lows in the absolute bottom was, um, you know, not really, really putting myself in the, putting myself in a position for an opportunity at that big deer I was hunting in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, I, man, I wanted that deer bad. Like I just, I thought about that deer all year long, put in what I thought was enough work to, uh, to have a solid game plan put together. And, you know, I hunted more this year than I've ever hunted since we started Exodus. So the last five or six well, dude, years, you got, a- you got after it hard, man. Like, yeah. Yeah, because usually so, you, you're well, you're always very strategic in how you approach it. Like you hunt good weather days, you follow fronts, like you do all that right. stuff. So it's not like you're bombing out for like three weeks straight or whatever. It's like, and you have a drive too, man. Like from where you live to where you were hunting wasn't like it was down the street either. So I made that trip. I made that trip every week in October. Actually, it's the end of September. First week of October, second week of October, third week of October, fourth week of October. So I made five trips before November. And that's whether camping and, you know, camping or sleeping in the truck or whatever, you know, just going down for a couple of days on those best weather days. But in all reality, I made those five trips. We were, we were there, uh, the second, second week, week of November. Of November. Yeah. yeah. We, were, we were there together the second week of November. And then I went back in January, um, to kind of wrap things out and, out of all that time, all the trail camera stuff, all the data, all the scouting, all the hunts, I was really only in the game twice, my first hunt and my last hunt. Um, so it's ultra disappointing. That deer's, to my knowledge, is still alive. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is, you know? Um, so that was the, the lowest of lows for me. So do we um, have a, do we have a sense? Cause I know you and I've talked about this a little bit, just from like truck camera data and stuff like that. Cause he disappeared like a, like a phantom. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. And so it's like we really don't have a clue like where that's he went and went in between. So it's like that's the hardest part about that particular deer in, in that in that area is like there's I mean he who knows where he's at. He could be five miles away. He could have just been one ridge over. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's just Well, the thing is is you know, I have a lot of trail camera data from that deer. Um three solid years and have a shed from that deer and he's done the same thing he's always been in that area through october and then he i know he disappears during the rut he's there for a two or three day window uh, around the second week at like the 13th 14th 15th 16th somewhere in that in that time frame mm-hmm. of november and then he's back in there during the late season um and he's done that every year that i've ever ran cameras there and going in there at the end of september i was I was pretty confident, honestly. I'm dude. In, I told you in, were going to kill him. Like I was like expecting a I phone was, call. Me too. And me too. Um, and even if I didn't kill him on the first hunt, I figured that deer would be dead by the second week of October. But uh, when I went in and hunted him, that first set, he showed up in that spot or that area about. I'm trying to think. Like 40 minutes after I yeah, got it out, it was less than an hour. I remember. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. less than an hour. So I was close, but not close enough. But ultimately, access there is a little bit tough, and that deer, for whatever reason, I don't know, is it, he cut my boot track and knew he was being hunted and just vanished. I don't know. 
that's what it seems like. Um, he did cross my trail where I exited that area. And that was the last time I'd gotten a picture of him until I got one picture of him in December, I think December 28th. And then he was back in there in January. Yeah. Um, Which was different for that deer because he spent a lot of time in there in October. Like he was, it wasn't like he was a show up for two days in October and then you didn't see him again. It's like historically, like you would have, have your pick of the litter basically if you were trying to kill him in October to find the right wind date because he was just going to be around there. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, could he have been there and mean just not know it? I mean, it's possible, but I mean, I got, I got cameras everywhere there. I mean, it's, I have, I have a lot of cameras out, um, in that area and. Well, just in that general area alone, man, there were three. There was the one on the well, just, big scrape. Yeah. There was one down down a little further, closer to where that one bed was in that little bowl, right? And then there was one that was actually a little closer to the to there's, the entrance. There's six cameras on that ridge total. Yeah. Um. So that's about a mile stretch. Yep. In strategic, you know, in strategic um, places where topographical features. Yeah. yeah. Right. So the not that's not counting. The ridge to the east, the ridge to the west. So, I mean, after the second week of October where, you know, he was nowhere to be found, I spent all my time scouting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I scouted two square miles. Never could come up with him. Never got a single picture of him. So, where he went, I do not know. Um, but he beat me. Yeah. So. So, the question is, is are you going to try to <laughs> try to kill him again? <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, like, I am so invested in that place as you know yeah um emotionally physically like i want to kill a boone and crockett deer there worse than anything like yeah worse than like it's a i there's not 48 hours that goes by and i'm not thinking about that place in a boone and crockett deer yeah um i wouldn't be far also i wouldn't be far behind you in terms of how often i think about it (laughs) right for sure um but it gets to a point where i spent five years there and haven't killed one so Right. It's like, there's a lot of guys that hunt that area and never kill, never, never kill there because it's so damn hard and and the density is so low. And, um, so I don't know if I go back and hunt that area, I'm not sure. I think I'm done with the pick out a deer and hunt a specific deer thing. Right. It just, it's, um, whether I'm not ready for it, I'm not good enough, whatever, whatever it is. It's, um, obviously I can't do it because I haven't been able to do it. So. Right. Right. Yeah, man. It's, uh, look, I couldn't do what you do as far as like go after a, a single deer, especially in that, in that place, you know, it's just, it's a daunting task in in general. I mean, I had a good encounter with what normally would be a shooter buck for most people, most places, right. It was like a 125 inch ish, maybe a little bit better. Eight point the last day that I was last day that I was there. And, uh, Made up my mind probably too late as to whether or not I wanted to shoot it or not. And then it, he got jiggy and that was about, that was about game over. Um, I didn't play it super cool cause I didn't think I was going to shoot him at first. And that, as he started getting closer, I was like, well, maybe I should, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and by that time I had wasted too much time and he got, he was starting to get a little squirrely and then, you know, he didn't blow out of there. He just kind of went down over the ridge and that, and that was it. But it, it was just something in the back of my mind. I was like, man, there are, there are bigger, like there's just, this is what, this is a spot. I have an opportunity to kill a really, really good deer. You know, I was like yeah. in that caliber deer that, he, that was standing there, I was like really good deer looking and anywhere else. I probably would have shot him, you know, but just what 
what I know of that place, I'm just like, man, I don't know. You know, and I was fully anticipating on going back over Thanksgiving. That was the last day of the hunt. Um, right. So people listening are probably like, why the hell didn't you shoot it on the last day of the hunt? Like, geez, you know. Um, but I was anticipating going back over Thanksgiving because we go back to visit my family or my wife's family over Thanksgiving, which means it's a shorter drive. And I was going to hunt for a couple of days, but her whole family got COVID, which meant we didn't go back, you know, for Thanksgiving, which means I couldn't, couldn't make it out. So the plant kind of blew up in my face, but I think my ugly and bad this year was simply, man, it was hitting that deer in Missouri and losing it. That was yeah. like, you know, I had, like I kept I said a couple of times in, in different podcasts, like this year for me was a year of, near misses like the whole season it was just like I, I was a dollar you know a day late and a dollar short on anything you could possibly think of from hitting that deer in missouri and missing it or you know not getting it um to being a day late on a on a, on a really good deer in in pennsylvania and a in a brand new spot to me you know that was just a baller spot and i knew it was killer I'm sitting here before I'm leaving for Missouri on the 30th and the 31st, have a cell camera in that general area. And I'm watching like the deer I'm trying to kill. <laughs> I was trying to kill all October, hit that, hit a particular scrape in daylight twice on the 30th. And then twice on the 31st between the hours of like, whatever it was like seven 30 and 10 o'clock, both days, he hit it twice yep. in the morning. And yep. I'm just sitting here going, you gotta be freaking kidding me. Like any other time I'd have been in the woods, you know, those days, but right. because I was getting ready to leave for Missouri, it wasn't like I could take an extra day off or whatever. And then he showed up on Sundays, two weekends in a row that I hunted him on Saturday and couldn't hunt him on Sunday. And and that was it. And then when I got back from hunting with you, that first Saturday I got back, I, I, I slipped into that same spot because I had seen some does on camera starting to hit that scrape again. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go hunt. I haven't, no one's been in there in forever. I was like, you know, for a, close to a month, I was like, I'm going to go in and hunt it. Had a good win, kayaked in and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there and I thought I heard something and I kind of look over and I thought I saw like a little bit of movement and I was like, Oh, you know, th that might be a deer. And I like, there was a doe and a small like spike buck that was hitting that scrape pretty frequently. And I was like, it was probably one of the two of them. It's just a rookie mistake. Like I didn't move and I didn't pick up my bow and it was coming from my right. And, uh, by the time it popped its head out of the brush and I saw its rack, it was one of the three shooters that I had on camera that was in that area. And by the time I recognized it, I couldn't get I had my bow, but I needed to get up over my bridge and I couldn't move because now once he cleared that brush with his rack, there wasn't anything between he and I, like that was it. Yeah. And I was, and I was just stuck there, you know, and I was hoping he would, he started angling like he was going to go hit this scrape. And I was like, well, if he does that, he's behind some cedars. I can get drawn and get a shot. But as luck would have it, he, dude, he was on like the dead zombie walk, like just hoofing it, trying to find whatever piece of tail might be around still. And he ended up getting behind me. He was at five yards by the time he ended up catching my wind. And there was not a stitch of wind. I mean, nothing. As close as he got, if I would have had any wind, I probably would have been able to get it over top of him and get him, let him get by me enough to get a shot. Right. But, right. you know, when you need wind, you never get it. You know what I mean? It's like, I felt like Tommy boy out in the middle of that lake, like, use a little wind here. You know, it's like, it was awful, you know, but it was, and it was one of those ones, man, where... I mean, I kind of had just like had to kind of laugh about it because it was just so ridiculous, you know, and it, it's one of those ones where you think to yourself, as soon as a deer left, I just kind of, you know, set my bow back down, kind of started laughing. The reason being is 
because it was such a rookie mistake. Like it was, if I hadn't, if it was earlier in the season, would I have been more prepared? Probably. Cause I would have been all antsy, but after like a month of grind or a full season of grinding and after the, the trip that we took and stuff like that, and just getting back from that, it's like, you're beat up and you know, <clears throat> my senses probably weren't as sharp. I wasn't maybe as committed, you know what I mean? Might be one way to put it. And, uh, yeah, I just made a rookie mistake, man. Didn't pick up my bow soon enough. I mean, if it weren't for that, you know, would have filled would have filled a Pennsylvania tag, which would have been would have been good. It's uh, it's one of those things, like you said. Everybody wants to like hunt all the time. Everybody wants to live in the yeah. woods, or like you see the memes about the cabin, like with no internet. Yeah. But when you put yourself through it mentally, it's one of the it's one of the more challenging things that um, you'll go through. Yeah. To put yourself through that duration, and especially like for you, a lot of a lot of times, like even when we're on trips together, like you had a, a few days on the front end of the trip, you're by yourself, mm-hmm. and then you had some days on the back end where you're by yourself. Yeah, and um, it is a little easier to do it when you have somebody with you. Mm-hmm. But I mean, hell, you went through the what a three week trip last year in yeah. Iowa by yourself. Yeah, and um, I don't care who you are or what you think you're capable of. That stuff starts, the season wears on you mentally. And, um, you know, you could say it's a rookie mistake, but at the end of the day, I think that Johnny Stewart talks about this a little bit, is giving yourself yeah a, a few breaks to stay mentally sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, that's good advice for anybody. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I would have thought I would have been more in the game at that point because I, I had – I had a week basically from the time I got back till I hunted that, that following Saturday or whatever. I had a week of work, of course, or whatever. So it wasn't like I was just relaxing or whatever, but you're right, man. It's, um, you know, I'm not one of these guys that says I can hunt every day. Like I can't, like I've, I've said it before. It's like, I'm usually solid for like a good two week stretch of getting after it every day hard, you know? And even during that two week stretch, it's like, I might take a morning or whatever, if I'm just feeling kind of shitty, you know, or, if there's a really like, say it's just like crazy windy and you're just like, yeah, this is just ridiculous. Like I'll sleep in that day. Like I'll try to take it. I'll try to pick a day where it's like things aren't in my favor. I won't blow a good day. I'll try to pick right. a day where it's like, Oh, it was a torrential downpour till like nine 30. It's like, cool. Well, let me sleep in and I'll leave like the last half hour of the rain. So I'm set up or whatever before the rain stops. But I definitely, you know, do take more breaks now than I have, um, than I have in the past, but that trip was, you know, it was a grinder. Cause you're right. It's like, I had a couple days on the front end solo a couple days when we were together solo, um, you know, which were, uh, interesting, you know, <laughs> maybe if I shot that deer, it would have went down in that hell hole. I don't know if I would have got him, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in Ohio, but you know, I would have liked maybe in hindsight would have liked to have, uh, would have liked to have tried, but man, let's get off the, uh, let's get off the bad stuff, man. Let's, uh, let's talk about the good, man. What was, what was the positive of, uh, the positive aspects of your season or the things that were good that happened or maybe some, maybe some micro successes might be a way to look at it. Yeah. I think micro successes is a a good term to use. Um, You know, overall the Missouri trip I thought was. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear. Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check planning for what's next and how to save for it. That's where bank of America can help for your financial to do's bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Pretty fruitful. And mm-hmm. the first five days of it um, was a little bit frustrating. But I think at the end, it was nice to be able to go to a piece of, of public. And we had bounced around a, a ton. And we were working our butts off to mm-hmm. get on deer. And we were finding deer. But towards the tail end of the trip to to go into a new piece that you had never been on and basically within six hours put yourself on shooter shooter type deer mm-hmm. um by digitally scouting boots on the ground scouting breaking down a piece ultra fast and it wasn't you know a giant piece to begin with so mm-hmm. it was that's um, sometimes harder it, it can be yeah 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 it, it can be um but that was a uh, you know just knowing that Digital scouting, boots on the ground scouting, everything was on point in an area like that you had never stepped foot on, I think was a, was a win. And then ultimately that Friday missing that deer and then having another opportunity at him um, the following day. I mean, I think those are both, both micro wins for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would agree with you, man. It's like, to me, the whole travel trip this year was, was successful. Um, You know, and then hell, I'll even say, even though I screwed the pooch and Missouri and I screwed the pooch in PA that I just talked about. I think both were successful in, in my book. I actually talked to Tony Peterson about this. I was on his, his show, the hunt for real podcast. And we were just talking about definition of success and stuff like that. And, uh, one of the things that we talked about is just kind of what you and I are talking about now, where it's all in how you all in how you frame it. If success is defined by filling tags with Boone and Crockett deer, man, you're going to have a, a rough existence. You know what I mean? It's like, you got to find those areas of, of success. Like, and I, I look at them more specifically as growth. Like, am I getting better? Like, cause to me, that's a successful season, you know? And some people might say, Hey, that's foo foo. Like I'm all about filling tags and putting antler on the ground. And Hey, that's you do you like, that's cool if that, but I'm not like, for me, I'm just trying to get better. And I, I'm, I'm bright enough to know that you can do everything right. And there's still a component of luck that has to fall into place for you. You know, because yeah. if not, you know, if it weren't, if it were just based on skill and someone's ability, then people would just go out that are really good at it, which is go out and do it year over year over year and never have an off off year. And that's just not the case, you know, that's um, right. you know, so for me to your exactly what you said, going to some brand new places and being on deer, you know, I had an encounter at the first spot we went to, you know, that was on the ground in Missouri. Uh, the second spot we went to Zach and I had another encounter, you know, with the deer that we were just 20 yards outside the game. Then the final spot hit that deer, but about got run over by a big deer. And we were in deer within like both of us were in deer within 30 minutes of getting out of the boat, essentially, right. you know, right. um, which was super cool. And then in Ohio, that spot, man, I'd never to this point saw a shooter deer from, from the timber. That was the first shooter deer that I'd seen. And that was whatever was like the 16th, 17th day that I've hunted there, you know, in total and finally saw a shooter buck, (laughs) you know? So, and that place is just hard to find deer in general or see deer in general. So that was, that was cool. And then in Pennsylvania, I had a handful of really good deer in PA, like of the caliber that I've never had before to, to hunt consistently on multiple pieces, you know? So for me, it was just a brand new piece this year had a good deer that I was trying to kill had a really big deer that I told you about that. I ended up bumping out of his bed earlier in the season on that same piece. And, uh, I was in good deer. And so for me, it was a really cool season. Like I had good deer. There wasn't ever a time where I was sitting there. Cause I've had these years where I'm just like, 
I don't have shit to hunt. Like there's nothing that I know of that I'm willing to kill. I'm still going to go hunt and try to figure it out, but there's nothing that I know of that I'd be willing to kill. And that's sometimes hard to muster like the, the grit to kind of continue to get after it when you just don't know what's there. Like I want a visual, I want a sighting, I want an encounter, I want a something just to let me know that I'm in the right, I'm in the game for the type of deer that I want to hunt, you know? Yep. And so for me, this year was interesting in that regard because I knew multiple pieces. I had very good deer that I could get after and I had a good idea where they were at. So, yeah. but yeah, so overall, I think successful season. Yeah. Yay. Nay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah of course. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. I mean, there's always things you think you could do, you know, you could do different, but like you said, those are the things that you question and look back on and learn or grow from. And ultimately that's the most important thing at the end of the season. Yeah, exactly. It's all, that's a perfect segue because the next thing uh, I wanted to talk about is just kind of dovetailing off. This is the things that we want to work on for this season. So it's like, we just kind of talked about the things that were bad, like where we screwed <laughs> up, right? Some things that were good. So the obvious question of the next step is, you know, what is it you're going to try to get better at this year? What are the things you're planning on working on? Um, the, well, the biggest thing for me is going to be broadening, broadening my skill set as a whole. Um, you know, 95%, 90, maybe 90% of my hunts, nine out of 10 hunts are elevated. So either from a saddle or a tree stand mm-hmm. and, you know, going to Kansas this fall, you need, or we need to be able to hunt there. I need to be able to hunt on the ground, um, spot and stock. So mm-hmm. I think, um, that is something I'm going to be working on, uh, in the off season, being more patient, understanding that when you see a deer, you don't necessarily have to go in and kill him that very second, mm-hmm. but be able to glass deer, watch them go back to bed and then have some type of plan to go in and kill him when the conditions are right. So being ultra aggressive when it's right, but being have, or having enough patience to wait for the right opportunity to be aggressive um, is something that I think is going to be important this fall and definitely something I'll be working on. And then this one's probably going to surprise you a little bit, but this elk hunt coming up in uh, September in Idaho is going to be pretty physically demanding. And um, it has me a little bit nervous <laughs> because I think, <laughs> at, I think at times I, I overestimate what my physical capabilities are due to my age. Right. I, I, in my head, I still think I'm 25. Um, so just being physically prepared, um, both my legs and lung capacity really, mm-hmm. uh, to not, you know, not have my physical abilities limit me on that hunt is going to be, is, is going to be another important thing. So those are the two biggest things, um, that I plan to work on in, right in the off season. Yeah. So, you know, not surprising you and I are going to Kansas together. The spot mm-hmm. and stock thing is something that's in the front of my mind. And that was something that I started working on some last year, you know, not necessarily Kansas style, you know, open plain kind of country or whatever. You know, I, I did some ground hunts in Pennsylvania, had a really good encounter with some, uh, with, with a doe in, in PA, you know, that I, I got really close. I, it just, she came head on and it was actually the one spot I didn't have any cover. So I couldn't get drawn, you know, so it was just learning experience. I didn't have the right, the right cover. Um, which is why I was kind of doing it last year in some of these hunts. Cause I was like, let me screw some stuff up here to figure out like, you know, where my weak spots are. And then I had a couple ground hunts in, in, in Missouri, you know, and had an encounter and stuff like that. And so by no means am I like 
yeah, I'm all good to go on the ground now. You know, there's still a lot of work I need to, I need to do. And I'm actually reading a book right now. Um, not saying you can pick this stuff up from a book all the way, like you got to apply it, but you know, that's one of those things where it's like, I'm not quite sure how to work on it in the off season because it's very much an applied skill. You know what I mean? It's like, you just kind of have to do it and figure it out as you go. Um, I'm trying to do the best I can right now. And I'm actually reading a, um, uh, a book that how blood wrote, uh, wrote. And for mm-hmm. those that listening that don't know who he is, he's a big time, like main hunter, you know, uh, big woods, uh, does a lot of tracking, you know, and a lot in the snow. Um, but a lot of still hunting too. And so I'm reading a book by him right now and hopefully we'll have him on the podcast here in the not so distant future and, and, and pick his brain. And then of course, you know, watching my old whitetail, uh, <laughs> Jared Scheffler and those guys <laughs> watching some yeah. of their old videos, um, and just, trying to pick apart how they kind of go about it. Cause when you look at what they do, it seems ultra aggressive, right? But if you really watch them, it's they'll watch for a long time before they make a move. Now they're yep. aggressive when they make a move. It's like, cause they recognize they go one chance, you know what I mean? Right, like that's, it. that's the thing on the ground. It's like, typically it's not like from a elevated set where it's like the deer might come within range, but doesn't know that you're there and he's, he'll be willing to come back the next day. I'm not saying that's not the case with something on the ground, but Usually something on the ground, like if they, if you booger them up, like it's, they probably smelled you and seen you, you know what I mean? Cause that's it. You know, you gotta, um, the, because the way they're going to bed and they're going to lay, you know, is going to be in such a way. It's like, you're going to really understand why they're set up that way because they're going to have very few disadvantages, you know? And, you know, I've listened to Jared talk about it a little bit to where he almost likes to come to the deer, like almost head on, you know, which is really kind of interesting because he wants to, he's just found from his experience that you create more movement or whenever you're coming from an angle, like you just have a larger profile versus coming straight on to straight on a deer because you have a smaller profile at them as opposed to like moving across their vision or whatever. And I thought that that was interesting, but that's ballsy. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, he's looking in my direction. I'm going to move right at him. You know, yeah. um, it might not be looking directly in your direction. He might be, of course, he's taking the wind into consideration and cutting the wind as much as he can. But I almost feel like on the ground at like some point you almost have to, you get to a point to where you almost are going to give up the wind, you know what I mean? Like, and you have to like figure out what that point is and be within shooting distance at that point. I've, um, you know, I was just texting you, we were texting a little bit this past weekend and I, uh, was, were, I was watching some of their new DVDs and that's where that patience being patient until it's time to be ultra aggressive. That's where that comes from. And watching those guys just glass and glass and watch deer and then know where they are for a couple of days, but wait, but waiting until the time is right to go in and kill them. Um, you know, typically that's not, you know, if I see a deer, usually I'm trying to go after it. You know what I mean? Right. And um, just the patience that, that Jared and Chansey and those guys use when they're going in, like everything's ultra slow. They're changing their cadence in the way that they walk. They're manipulating their profile. A lot of times they're carrying a decoy or they're, you know, on all fours or belly crawling, just doing crazy, insane, out-of-the-box stuff, and they're getting it done. I mean, Dude, they get it done, the, like, at a, like... At a high level. At a high level and a high percentage, like, in comparison to, you know, anybody else that I know, hunting from an elevated setup or not. You know what I mean? And yeah. the caliber that they're doing it on is unreal but it's interesting you said changing their cadence up because that was something i was reading actually this morning 
before work, I was reading some of the book and that was one thing how blood was talking about was he was more specifically talking about it as it relates to, you know, if he has snow and it's iced over or if it's dry and there's leaves, you know, where he changes his cadence. Um, because he was saying a human walks in a straight line at a, at a clip and doesn't stop until they see something they need to observe or whatever, where a deer will literally move 25, maybe 50 yards at a slow pace and then stop and then won't move because they're looking around to see if there's any danger around, you know I mean? They're kind of scoping everything out. And that's one thing he talked about was trying to mimic the cadence of deer. Like listen to how deer move whenever they're coming up on you. And then when you're walking through the woods, still hunting or trying to stock up on something like you should try to use the same cadence. It'll create less, um, less nervousness for them because they're going to feel potentially feel as though there's just another dealer deer around milling, you know, milling about. So that's something, um, that's something I worked on last year, um, in Southern Ohio was either, you know, being very particular with my foot placement, not stepping or walking flat footed. So it was either heel toe or toe heel, mm-hmm. um, with intent. So it almost sounded like one step was almost two steps mm-hmm. or picking up a stick, using a stick, um, almost like a trekking pool mm-hmm. to make that, ex- that extra, that extra step and breaking up a, a basically a cadence from a, a ch- um, ch- 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 biped. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Cause I know Zach is, uh, that's one thing in watching him. And I think yeah, I maybe even heard him say it like, he doesn't like if you watch him in their videos when they're hunting, like he doesn't break very many sticks when no, he's hunting. He's sneaky. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm like, and I'm always uh, kind of blown away by it. Cause you know, this year was probably the first, the first time I really paid real close attention to it. Like actually to your point, like I had an intent whenever I was walking in the woods to try not to, I mean, I always try not to step on the stuff that's going to make noise, but like there's those small sticks that you think you can't avoid. You know what I mean? And I was even trying to be particular about that and like try to feel them even underneath my foot before I put my foot down. You know, um, the craziest thing was the quietest I ever hunted was actually that day I hunted on the ground in Pennsylvania. I forgot my boots in the truck. I ended up wearing my van skate shoes to hunt. And the mm-hmm. crazy thing was, is that it almost like I thought about getting a pair of uh, Russell moccasins for early season. Like it probably won't work for late season because. I could feel every stick underneath my foot. Cause I mean, they're van skate shoes. So they're really thin soles. And the whole point is like for skate shoes for anybody who's never skateboarded, the soles are really thin that way. When you're doing tricks on your skateboard, you can feel the board underneath your feet really well. Like there's not a lot of separation between your feet, and your board. And so whenever I was walking in the timber with those, I was like, damn man, I'm super stealthy, you know? And they were like, I didn't break a stick on the way in. I didn't break a stick on the way out. And it made me just kind of stop and think I was like, man, I should get like a pair of like, high top vans and wear those <laughs> in early season. If I'm going to hunt from the ground or just in early season in general, when it's dry out because I'm so much quieter whenever I'm in the timber, I'm it's, that's even maybe a vote for like hiking shoes over like full on hunting boots too. Right. Yeah. You know, from that standpoint, but man, I think those are the, that's the main thing I need to work on this year. Um, I need to get my shoulder healed back up. That's like the big thing that's weighing on me right now is just, continue to do the PT and stuff like that. So I'm good to go so I can shoot more and, and stuff like that. But that's just an ever going back ever, you know, never ending battle at this point. But I think you'll be fine for your win, dude. Like I think for your, for your Western hunt, I think you'd be good on your win, man. You know, it's uh the best thing that I did whenever I went out, the thing that helped me the most is I actually did interval sprint training. I found that to be the one thing that was the absolute best. And it's not like you need to be like, 
an Olympian or whatever, just the effort of it. And it, it'll, it'll, it'll give you a gas tank. Like you, like you've probably never had it before. Like I'd never, even in all my years of like wrestling and stuff like that, like when I did that training like that, that was the best gas tank I probably ever had, you know? Yeah. Um, and you probably don't need to start it, but like a couple weeks out prior to prior to going. So you don't, cause the one thing I did is I, I started too soon and ended up with like a, some type of plantar fasciitis, like, you know, mid arch oh, yeah. foot injury or whatever, like two weeks before I was leaving which had me like freaking out because I thought I was going to have to skip the trip because my foot was just killing me. Um, mm-hmm. But that would be, that would be my advice would just be that like all the other stuff people talk about, like hike with, yeah, hike with a pack cause your hip flexors are going to kill you. Like as much as you can hike with a, like some weight would help. But other than that, man, it's old fashioned, do some wind sprints. <laughs> That's it. You know, I, uh, I heard a quote from uh, one of the guys we we're going with and this guy's been elk hunting for, 20 some years, pretty successful guy. And he told me a one, a good elk hunter needs to be able to do one thing. And then he like paused for like 20 seconds. I was like, well, what (laughs) What is is it, Ryan? Like what, what is the one thing you're going to tell me? He was like, you have to learn to suffer well. And that was it. (laughs) Like he didn't say anything else. I was like, well, I think, I think I can handle that. Yeah, no, that's dude, that's those are pretty true words, man, cuz there's there were some hikes where it's like I was in great shape when I went out there, you know. Um I actually better shape than my buddy who lives there that I was hunting with cuz when I got there he was like, "Dude, he's like, I'm pretty surprised by your wind, man." He's like, "Geez." He's like, "You know, you're he's like, I'm going to have to hustle to try to to keep up, you know." And, and he lives out there so it took him like 3 days to get his wind at elevation and he was he was good to go, you know. Um but even being in good shape, there were just, just the elevation and the amount of up and down and just how unsure footing is so often. It's like all those truthfully too, like might sound weird yoga, anything that's going to like challenge those small muscles for stability. Cause that's the thing that'll kill you is your, is your ankles and constantly stepping on like moving rock and, and stuff like that. That just doesn't give you sure footing that just those small muscle groups that you don't use all the time. Like those are the things that would hurt that would hurt the most. Like getting home after an all day hunt would be my ankles from side hilling in like your feet from trying to grip, you know, as you're side hilling or whatever. Those were, those were the worst things, you know, hip flexors and stuff weren't too bad. I mean, and you don't know what you're going to run into. I mean, the one day we were in like 85 degree weather, the next day we had a foot and a half of snow and we're doing, you know, 10 miles that day or whatever, you know what I mean? So it's just like the weather's so unpredictable from rain to wind, snow, whatever it is. It's just, it's never in your favor. You put it that way, you know? So it's like, you're going to deal with some BS pretty much every day, but all right. So this question here, and then we're going to get into some, uh, some, uh, listener Q and a questions here. So I heard this question the other day posed by, uh, I think it was actually, I heard Dan Johnson saying it made me pause and think. And I was like, damn, I was like, that's, that's a provocative question. And, uh, what he asked was, he was like, if you didn't bow hunt, what would you do? And I just thought it'd be interesting to kind of cut that one up because I had a hard time f- like thinking about it and figuring out. Cause until I thought about it, I didn't really realize how much of my time is consumed by things related to bow hunting, not just the act of hunting itself, but all the things that are related to it that would be gone at that point. If bow hunting wasn't something that I did. Yeah. So I'm curious, man, like for you, what would you, uh, what would you be doing? Um, 
Well, my initial thoughts are leaning towards cattle. Uh, I don't, like you said, this is, um, it's not something I've ever really put much thought in. So uh, it's a hard, it's a, it's a hard place for me to go kind of off the rip or, you know, off the, off the cuff. But I would have to say, I would probably, I'd probably be spending my time doing something with cattle. Um, I would kind of envision probably, um, bucking stock because of my rodeo experience and all of my friends still in that space. And that was such a big part of my life, uh, going through my Mm twenties and I still have interest in that, but it's one of those priority things. It's like, you know, you can't do everything. Mm -hmm. So you make it, you know, whatever the highest priority is, you know, what's, that's the most important thing to you. That's what you spend your time on. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know where else I would go. I can't think of anything else that I'm, you know, passionate en- enough about to let it consume that much time. Yeah. Because I, like you said, it's not just like these four-week trip in September and, you know, you're out for your rut- rutcation for 10, 14 days in November. It's, I mean, it's running trail cameras. It's postseason scouting. You're doing shed hunting. You're summer scouting. It's... Yep. I mean, it's all the time. You're e-scouting. Yeah. I, I mean, I was thinking yeah. about it because like it, it, it's not just replacing the the act of bow hunting. That was the thing that like is what took me because I was thinking I was like, you know, just replacing bow hunting. If I was going to do something else, it would be like, quote unquote, replacing a hobby. Right. If you were just replacing yeah. the hunt, you know what I mean? Just that one aspect of it. And I was like, eh, probably snowboard. You know, I was like, cause I, I loved snowboarding. That was something I used to do a lot of. And I really stopped doing it when I picked up bow hunting. Like I stopped snowboarding cause it was, it, it, it was in conflict with the, like my time to spend in the timber or whatever. And so I just stopped snowboarding altogether. But for me, to your point, and it's different for you because you like, you actually, you physically work in the space too. Right. So it's like, it's all consuming. And for me, I'm like, to your point, scouting, shed hunting, e-scouting, the books that I read running a podcast, YouTube videos, the coffee company that I started, you know what I mean? It's, it was all like related to my passion right. for bow hunting in the outdoors. And you, you would think like the, you would think it would be music. Cause that was the thing that I did prior, but I kind of put that to bed before I left like Florida and knew that I wasn't ever really going to go back to that in any kind of significant way. It truthfully probably would have been something in like the bar and beverage industry. It would have been because I did a lot of that like in my all throughout my 20s when I was in bands and stuff like that because my friends owned bars and I ran bars. Um, I made uh, I was starting a a craft uh, bourbon distillery for a while. Like I had, you know, business plans for that and was into that and was into making some some um, test batches, shall we shall we say, you know what I mean? So I was kind of like real into that and. You know, and I was really wanting to do something with the the land and property we have at the farm. I wanted to turn that into something like the family property that we have. And so I probably would have did something like that. I probably would have started like a distillery or a brewery or, you know, grew hops or something like that at the at the farm is probably what I would have done. Farmer Clint, man. <laughs> you could have had your livestock there. I would have had like a hops farm or something, man. Like <laughs> it's probably would have a, a dude ranch on a, on a distillery. That's right, man. That's right. My dad would have been all into that. Cause he keeps trying to get me to go on vacation with him to go to like a dude ranch in Montana on vacation. 
I I still can't wrap my head around the concept of that. Like people paying to go to a ranch and do work. And work. Like, <laughs> what? Yeah. I'm like, I could just go out to Bucks County here and find like some farmer that needs some help if I really want to go work the farm all that bad. You know? Right. I'm like, I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think it's a safe bet that we're not going to be replacing bow hunting anytime soon, but <laughs> I thought it'd be interesting to see. But we, you know what the one interesting thing is, and as you were talking, it kind of jumped into my mind. Not neither one of us even gave it a second thought to pick up a gun and to rifle hunt or to gun hunt. No, like because the is question was bow hunting, and you would think that one of us would have had that thought, like, okay, I'll just change weapons and yeah. Like, no, neither it, one of us said that. That's that's intriguing. It is very interesting, and it's funny that you point that out because whenever I hear people talk about hunting, when they when they say "Do you hunt?", I just assume they mean bow hunting because that's how I think of hunting. You know, it's like I hunt other ways. It's like I hunt with I hunt for turkeys. I don't ever kill any, but I hunt for them. You know, I use a gun for that goose hunting, duck mm-hmm. hunting, whatever. But when someone says "Do you hunt?" and I say "Yeah," I always immediately think bow hunting whitetails. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like that's immediately where my mind goes. And that is interesting. Like it wasn't like, cause you would think even if it wasn't hunting related, it would be like, Oh, I would start target shooting or yeah. something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not going to, I'm just going to start target shooting with my bow. You know, I'm going I'm yeah. to arch do archery or whatever. No, it was like left turn, going to rope cattle. <laughs> I'm going to start and going to make whiskey like, <laughs> which is interesting, but All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there, too. I'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.